Amen. Somebody say, be holy. Be holy. You know what's pretty amazing is that God was tenderizing your hearts during worship for this message right here. Yes, he was. Obviously mine as well. I mean, I was wrecked. Yeah. But let me ask you this question this morning. Did you prepare yourselves for today? Did you walk in here with your minds consecrated and ready to carry out his commandments as obedient children this morning? <laughs> Did you walk in here today blameless, pure, with an unadulterated devotion to his work and to his people this morning? Because the word says in Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying all of them out. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Come on, everybody likes to Amen, right? Leviticus 19, verse 1 through 2 also says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, Be holy. Say, Be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Do you see the importance of being holy in the scriptures this morning? In Leviticus 19, it is written as a commandment that you are to be holy for the Lord your God is holy. In today's message, we're going to be focusing into the extreme importance of this very commandment given to his sons and daughters. Be holy. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 1. So start turning there with us. We'll, we got about three passages today that we're going to spend a lot of time in each of them. 1 Peter chapter 1 is going to be the first one. Say be holy when you get there. Hey, you can. T these guys are hesitant to answer any of our questions this morning. They're like, I don't know, maybe I'll be... Is it recorded? Is that what you said? Oh, is it rhetorical? No. <laughs> Nothing is rhetorical. Y'all in First Peter 1? First Peter chapter 1, look at verse 13. Come on, Judah. It says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient... Children, everybody loves an obedient child, right? Right, April? Yeah, April loves obedient children. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours and your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, say Holy One. Holy One. Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior. Wow. Because it is written, you, in the NASB, shall be holy, for I am holy. I was reading in First Peter chapter 1 this week, about Wednesday of this week, and it struck me that as I was reading through it, I saw that quotation out of Deuteronomy, out of Leviticus. It's, be holy for I am holy, says the Lord, is multiple times throughout our Torah. But I noticed that when I came across it, I read in many, many different 
translations, but my physical Bible is a, is a NASB, and I came across this, and unlike every other translation I was reading, it said, you shall be holy. And it caught my attention, because all I had ever heard, just like probably you guys, was be holy. Holiness, church, is a place or it is a position. It means set apart. In the Hebrew, it means set apart. It's something that's consecrated. It's taken out of many of the same thing, and it's placed over here, and it is set apart for him. So how then, guys, how then can a bowl be a consecrated holy bowl in the tabernacle? How can bread be holy? How can a menorah be holy when it never did anything to be able to be called holy? So be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. Is that the way that you heard that the first time? It's the way that I've heard it my entire life until recently. He says, you shall be holy. Now, the cool thing is, now we don't have a screen to throw stuff up on for you. I wish we did. But in that word, you shall be, in the Greek, is the word genomai. Say genomai. Genomai. That's Strong's G1096. And it can mean something as simple as the word be or to be. For all you Spanish speakers, hacer, right? It's to be something. But it also means come to pass. It also means be made. Here are some of the definitions that's described here. And the first definition on this word, and most of your NIV Bibles, uh, ESV probably, and especially uh, several others that are not so particular for being word to word, it said this it, it didn't catch this. It didn't catch the word shall. The first definition in the Strong's Concordance says to become, to come into existence, begin to be, or to receive being. Well, the word genomai means to receive being, to receive your ability to be holy. So whenever you and I now read, be holy, Morgan, for I am holy, says God, we're not sitting there like, I have got to get myself together because last week was disgusting. Last yeah. week I dropped the ball in every form and fashion. So this week, um, ah, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be holy this week like God's holy. Really, you're going to be holy this week like God was holy. I, for some reason, don't believe you at all. Another translation there is to become, to come to pass, to happen, to arise, to appear in history, to come upon a stage, <laughs> to be made, to be finished, especially referring to that of miracles Amen. that are performed. <laughs> Church, we're redefining the concept of be holy today because our entire life, we have heard and we have read these scriptures when God, especially in our Older Testament, looks at Israel in their nastiest moments in the wilderness. And he says, I'm giving you this law. So be holy because I am holy. Come and be like me. And I promise you that you read it that way because they understood it that way. Do you think that God, knowing his prime creation, 
his beloved creation, his beloved nation that is that was born out of a promise is really going to go and act and behave so perfectly that they would then become like God, like him. No, but he says, be holy. And we want to show you guys today just how much this changes things. So is holiness a product, church, of holy behavior? Or is holy behavior a product of holiness? Mm, Which one comes first? He gives that to you long before you gave him any good reason to be called that. Just like a menorah in the tabernacle in the temple, just like a bowl, a golden bowl, just like an altar that's never had a sacrifice on it before. It's it's already holy. It's already holy. Holy. And even whenever the priests would go in our Older Testament and make something holy, they would make it holy. The priest would make it holy. Your priest has made you holy. You, just like those ornaments in the tabernacle, in the temple, cannot make yourself holy. So that's interesting. We have a high priest who has come to do a work to make us holy. So holiness is not a product of holy behavior, but rather holy behavior is a product of your holiness. Now, as pastors, this makes us start to look at things a little differently. So we don't say, we aren't thinking anymore, and not to say that we always do, but there are definitely times that we have thought this. is like, if they keep acting like that, if that person keeps behaving that way, They might lose it all. If that person keeps doing that. No, it's kind of backwards now is what we're understanding. Your unholy behavior is actually a reflection of what's going on inside of you already. You are already detached from God. If you are wondering why you have the addictions that you have, if you're wondering why you can't get off the substances or the visuals or whatever that you're attached to, if you wonder why you feel depressed every day, if you wonder why you feel anxious every day, it's not because it's a punishment from God. It's a byproduct of you having already detached from him and you are now seeing the fruit of it. Do you see where there's room for improvement for us to draw near to him? This is a serious subject we want everyone to consider because we are ripping out the crossed wires in our theology so that we can have flow through us everything that he's intended. Pastor Mike once used a metaphor in a, in a sermon where he, he used the example of like, a, of like the power grid in a city and a power line being brought to your home. If that power line is not plugged into its source, how can, it, how can its intended purpose be lived out? It can't. It's just a power cable with no power, so it's just a cable. How on earth are you going to produce light in your home if the power to do so does not run through you? We're talking about holy light inside of your home. Do you guys ever feel a lack of holy light inside of your home? Maybe it's because that day you unplugged. That's a reflection of what you have been doing. It's not something that you are doing and then eventually God will pull the plug on you. It's a reflection of what you've already done to yourself. 
So we, so we have to start questioning our witness as husbands and wives, our witness as moms and dads, our witness as sons and daughters and brothers and sisters under our roofs so that we don't look at the absence of light as a punishment from God, but rather evidence that we are detached from him and not attached the way that he wants us to be. Fundamentally, church, this is the difference between believing that God speaks in promises or that he speaks in threats. This is what it comes down to. It's really interesting because we're like, yeah, Lord, you speak in promises, you speak in promises. But then theologically, we behave and we respond as if he speaks in threats. It was the deceiving serpent in the garden who introduced the idea. Y'all are going to y'all listen in right now because you need to be engaged with this. This is straight from the Holy Spirit. I could not come up with anything this good, I promise. It was the deceiving serpent in the, in the garden who introduced the idea that unless you do this one thing, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will not be able to relate to God. But God had spoken before that moment that man would take dominion over his creation and that, he had, that man had already been placed in a garden called intimacy, even though, even though, even though he did not have knowledge of the difference between holy behavior and unholy behavior. The tree held that knowledge. The tree held the knowledge of the difference between holy behavior and unholy behavior, and he didn't want you to know about it. This <laughs> See, in our churches, we spend month after month after month telling you how to behave holy. Do this better. Don't do that. But from the very beginning, God's entire concept of your reflection of him had everything to do with you being close to him and had nothing to do with you knowing theologically what is good or bad behavior. That's <laughs> church. This is how he set it up. So if there was any system at all that God set up, it was that you would not need to know the differences between good and evil as long as you stay close enough to him that you are the very reflection of him. The serpent, the very face of unholy and disobedient behavior, introduced the idea that we needed to know the difference between them so that then we could be able to understand who he is. Is that not how we were first taught when we entered churches as children or as young adults or whenever? It's like, you want to find out who God is? Don't do this anymore. Don't, get, don't drink anymore. Don't smoke anymore. Don't cuss anymore. Don't wear those clothes anymore. Pray this kind of a prayer. Sing these kinds of a, like really boring contemporary Christian songs. And then you'll know who God is. And none of us found out who God was. Come on. The serpent, the very face of unholy and disobedient behavior, introduced the idea that we needed to know the difference between them so that we could then be able to understand who God is. Thus making good behavior and bad behavior the foundation of our ability to walk in relationship with him, which we already had the whole time. <laughs> we, we see this really clearly in Galatians chapter 3. That's going to be the next one we look at. Look at it with us. Man, that sounds like some fruit not worth eating. Yeah, it is. Whenever your life becomes about your good behavior and your bad behavior, your transgressions begin to outshine 
the testimony of what Jesus did on the cross for you? How many of you have walked in blindness because all you live in is the shadow of your failure? Whenever God has brought forth his light to shine on you, and guess what? He calls you holy. Galatians 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I'll read this again. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit and now being perfected by the flesh? Come on, your encounter with the Holy Spirit was spirit. And at some point in time, we began to look at all the ways in which we maybe could one-up on God, so then we start walking in the flesh. It's like, man, I just want to arrive at this state. I just want God to feel this way about me. Well, friend, he's always felt that way about you. I just want to be like that other man of God in my church. I just want to be like that other woman of God in my church. If I could just speak like them, if I could just sing like them, if I could just prophesy like them, if I could just know my Bible like them, then maybe. Because it's obvious that he loves them more than you. <laughs> it's obvious. No, it's not the case. The question I asked at the beginning of this message was indeed a trick question. Y'all did pretty good. But I also mean, how, how in the world can you yourself declare yourself to be holy? How can you? I like what Pastor Kaysen was saying. How the heck did the menorah call it? Did it call itself holy? Did the bowl call itself holy? No. It was in the presence of holiness. Are we so foolish to think that we could present a sacrifice greater than the sacrifice that atone for the sins of the cosmos, the creation? But we think our fig leaves are enough sometimes. We believe that we can come in and we can cover ourselves better than his original covering, which is not true. What is the truth? The truth is that in him, you are men of consecration. So men that were driving on the way here, considering I better consecrate myself. No, that is in your nature now. That is a part of your new identity. That is a part of who you are in Christ. Church, we are doing this one thing this morning. Pointing you back to holiness. To the one who can make you holy. To the one who can set you apart. To the one that pierces you with the revelation that causes you and your family to really rest and dwell in the land that he's prepared for his people. Are you ready to rest today? Yeah. Well, it's time to wake up first to the reality of this very thing this morning. To be holy is the product of being plugged into holiness. And you yourselves have been made as the conduit fitted to carry the Holy Spirit within you. How can anyone carry the spirit of holiness if they've not been declared holy? You are filled with this Holy Spirit. You are clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. John 15. Why? Because he is the vine and we are the branches and the branches do not have to worry because they're in a garden where the gardener will come and pluck off everything that does not bear fruit. 
You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Galatians 3, verse 10. Y'all there? It says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. This is something we need to pay attention to. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God, it's evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might be come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the spirit through faith. What is the promise we have received church? The promise of the spirit, which causes us to live by faith. The Holy spirit is the one who causes us to live rightly. So why have we considered the law to be the very thing that can save us? Now, Take a moment today. Kendall and I were talking about this yesterday. Take out of your mind when Pastor Devin says law, when I say law today, do not simply only think Torah. It is in principle any rules and regulations that God has either spoken or that we have spoken over ourselves. It's we'll come to find out here in Galatians three and also in the passages to come that there's nothing wrong with it. Right. There's something wrong with us. But today, don't don't detach from the idea of like, oh, yeah, like I'm not under the law. Like I eat shrimp like I'm good. <laughs> like like that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about an execution of behavior regulation according to rules and regulations. Right. That either God has spoken or that we have spoken or that you have spoken over yourself. Why have we considered the law to be the very thing that can save us? It's because of man's attempt to both identify with rule and regulation and walking by faith. Which leads to this. Misidentification. It's like, yeah, I'm like that spirit and truth Christian. I'm like, okay. Yeah, we're called to be worshipers in spirit and the truth. But how many times have we made those com two completely different parties? Yeah, I'm, like, I'm under rules and regulation. And yeah, I walk by faith. It can't be. This leads to misidentification, which causes you and I to become spiritual transvestites, as Pastor Michael was saying last week. Am I a son? Or am I a slave? I don't know which one to pick today. Am I a son? Yeah, I know the Lord calls me a son, but I also know about that slave to righteousness thing. I don't know. Which one should I pick today? Which one should I believe? <laughs> hey, well, I guess both 
so I can just walk in confusion the rest of my life. We have walked in hours upon days upon years of confusion because we don't know which one to pick. And today, church, we're going to make it very clear to the one that you should pick. The law that was given was for one purpose. Nail this into your brains this morning. The law given back to Moses was for one purpose. It was to make known to all mankind under the law that there is only one who could save them from their due penalty. The ways in which we see this is if you have a rebellious son, what does the law say to do? Take him to the elders and stone him. Any of y'all ever had a uh, stubborn and rebellious son? Have you ever been a stubborn and rebellious son? Yeah. And you know what Jesus came and said? He stopped the son before he can get home and said, let's go kiss him. (laughs) And the Pharisees were mind blown about this. And this is the very nature of God that we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to help make sense to all these things. He is the one who dresses you in righteous garments, by the way. He is the one who has given you a new name, son, because he calls you righteous. We now live by faith and now carry out complete, incomplete assurance that the curse has been broken. And we now carry in us the promise of God, spoken to creation from the beginning of mankind. Consider why this was so astonishing to many religious leaders in the time of Jesus. It did not make sense to their minds. But he didn't come for the mind. He came for the heart. And he's doing the same thing in us this morning. Because Jesus came. He came and revealed a door that they never saw nor considered to be the answer within their pursuit of holiness. But church, he's the only answer. So don't turn here with me. I want you to hear it just as the other people who Jesus was speaking to in John chapter 10 heard it. They didn't. Jesus didn't say Flip to chapter 10 of my personal manual written by John and read what I'm about to talk to you about. He said, listen to me. This is what he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Kind of like that Micah 2 scripture. That's funny, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, like the Micah 2 scripture we read this morning. Yeah. Holy Ghost. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow. Simply will not follow. You guys ever follow somebody else's voice other than Jesus's? Jesus says his sheep simply do not follow any other voice because they're uncomfortable with the idea of any other voice telling them what to do. Amen. <laughs> That's what his sheep respond like. This is This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what these things were, which he had been saying to them. 
So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Amen. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You, church, listen to me. Because we're talking about holy, like, it's going to sound a little difficult today. And it's going to play with your theology a little bit. But I need you to hear me out. Because this is not an accusational message today. We're, we are done with playing with the idea that if we can get you or show you how to act a certain way, that then you'll feel included among the sheep. That is not the case. It has everything to do with your connection and your familiarity with him. Okay? You do not count as a sheep or a shepherd in the pen if you came only by way of gifts, talents, or good behavior. Or even cultural assimilation. Yeah. This is by definition wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Ha! Huh. That means if you come into this church, or any other church for that matter, but we're passionate about this one personally. If you come into this church and just start trying to act like everybody else. If you come in here and just try to sing the songs, if you come in here and try to talk the language and kind of dress like they do and act like they do, and that's where your point of inclusion comes from, that's not your sheep pen. But it can be. Yeah. It's not because they are exclusive. It's because the shepherd who stands at the gate, the gate himself, the door himself is. And He's exclusive to the point so that the sheep pen does not have in it what's not supposed to be in it. But he is inclusive to the point that you always have an invitation. You just only are allowed to come through him. It's kind of like a cherubim standing at the entrance to a garden called Eden, right? Yeah. It's exclusive for the point of maintaining purity in that place. But it's inclusive as long as you go through the flaming swords of the cherubim. He's been doing the same thing since the beginning of creation. He says, um, there is no way in except through him. He is the gate. He is the shepherd. He is the shepherd of shepherds. And there is nothing you or I can say to do to make that more relevant except to go through him. We're seeing where holiness is. We're seeing where a holy people that is God's people, that is the church, that is this church. A holy people that sometimes you say, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like everybody else in the room. I can't pull myself together to do what they do. The whole reason you feel that way is because it has everything to do with the door. Mm. What door did you come here through? I, even, if you can't, even if you've been here for a while, what door did you come through? 
Because the, the point of insecurity that makes you feel like if my clothes, if the clothes that cover myself up fall off, if I'm exposed, if my sheep clothing that I'm wearing that makes me look like everybody else in this room falls off, they'll see me for who I really am. Come on. So that means the anxious hiding behavior that, that you are still living in is a reflection of the fact that you didn't come by way of the gate. You came by over, jumping over the stall. You came by jumping in some other way. And it's not that you're not wanted there. It's the whole thing. It's not that you're not wanted there. It's that you can only come through the gate like everybody else. We had to look him in the eyes to feel like we belong in this family. We had to look him in the eyes and say, can I come in, please? And he said, you had an invitation the whole time, of course. But you got to look at him in the eyes and ask him. Y'all, this is fundamentally just rewiring us. It's so exciting because the anxiety that has been just completely deleted in me recently, the anxiety as to whether Devin really has my best interest in mind, whether Pastor Mike really has my best interest in mind, or this church's best interest in mind. I'm being vulnerable with you today because this is what Pastor Mike and Pastor Slaughter are preaching on at the Arising Church right now. Is my, I love my brothers and my brothers love me. We, know, we trust each other and we have each other's best interest in mind. But it, because we've proven it to each other. Well, of course, we can prove it to each other. But how many times have we told you we love you? And you go home and you're like, I don't know, honey. I don't think they love us. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Y'all are not alone in that, I promise. That Kendall and I have been, are having an anxiety and a stress just completely ripped out of us right now because we are finally like, okay, yes, this is our family and this is the family that God intended for us to be in the whole time, but I never felt like I belonged. So what I have to do is come out, go out the way that I came in, right? I count everything as loss. And I know nothing except Christ and crucif- him crucified. So that little way, that, whole, that, that part of the fence I jumped over, I jumped back over it again. I walk out, and I walk back up, and I, I'm still going back in, but I'm like, hey, Jesus, can I come in? And he's like, yeah, welcome home. And so now I have relationships that reflect that. I have a position in my heart. So this is what it does to us to feel included in this family and the kingdom of God. You don't have to behave perfectly every day. You don't have to have a greater gifting than everyone else or just the person next to you. You don't have to have a greater anointing. You don't have to be the best speaker. And Gedge says you don't have to have the best behaved kids either. You just belong here because you belonged to him first. And God's going to settle this insecurity in us today because it is one of the greatest threats to what he is trying to do through this body of people in this land. When we truly get a hold of these things and we lock eyes with our maker and are reminded of who he is and who we are, even our very actions begin to change. Pastor Kaysen and I were talking a little bit about this yesterday. In terms of discipline, your children. If you feel punished by God, you're just going to go punish your children. But if you feel discipline and you feel love, you will love and discipline your children. Yeah. 
These are two completely different things. And I want that to strike your heart this morning as we go to Galatians 3, verse 15. Yeah, picking up in verse 15. As we continue to talk about the law, pay attention to what Paul is saying here in Galatians 3, 15. Y'all, real quick, y'all have to know, we chose two of the most controversial passages in the entire Bible to preach on today. We're in Galatians 3, and later we'll get to Romans chapter 7. But y'all need to l- seriously listen closely when Pastor Devin's reading this stuff, because it is doctrine that has confused the minds of theologians their entire lives. And we're going to show you today just how simple it is. Brothers, say Brothers. Let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, it's a bilateral covenant, meaning two parties making a covenant together. So it is in this case, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God. Oh, my gosh. Church, that means that this was the original covenant. We've always treated it like it was the Torah that was God's first attempt and it didn't work. So then Jesus had to come and make another covenant with us. This is the original covenant that he's saying the law did not intercept. 18, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace, gave to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by it. Oh, come on, read that again. If a law had been given that could impart life, then the righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through the faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. Locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put into charge to lead us to Christ. You hear that? That we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are sons of God through faith in Christ. 
Come on, are you sons to Christ? Yes. Can we agree that the law or the Torah is a list of rules and regulations? Can we agree on that? Yes. Yes. Say yes. <laughs> the scriptures say that the law of God is perfect. The rules and regulations of God are perfect. Why are they perfect? Because they lead you to him. The law of God is perfect. Why? Because it leads you to Christ. The problem, then, is not the rules and regulations, by the way. It's your relationship to him. This is the problem. Hear that again. The rules and regulations, just like when you discipline your children and you give them expectations, right? Say, don't put your hand on the stove. Don't respond to your mom that way. Don't talk back to me that way. Clean up your room. These are all good rules and regulations, right? But if your child believes that they are only loved by you because you do, because they do those things that you tell them to do, then there is a fundamental break in their foundation of their relationship with you, right? Yeah. Furthermore, on top of Torah, we add more inferior rules. And when has any one of these rules and regulations ever given us life? Never. Ever, 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 ever. And honestly, it already said that in the scripture right in front of us. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness certainly would have come by the law. There is a sickness in the body of Christ, church rooted in religiosity that tells us that we need to hurt more. We need to be more frustrated over our sin. And we need to be more ferocious in our attempts to make ourselves holy so that we can be favored and chosen by God. His special soldiers, his, his special ones he can trust everything to because we get stuff right more often than everybody else. This is the stuff that we're talking about. All when the original environment and relationship between God and man was an absolute ignorance of holy or unholy behavior. Wow. You just have to be close to him. That was possible because unadulterated nearness and intimacy with him was enough to not only sustain them. Because how often do we pray for him to sustain us? Help me, God. Help me. Just help me get to another week, Lord. Just one more day, God. Like, just my heart's weary, Lord. We pray this stuff all, all the time. That's why we've been talking about Goshen so much. It's because you didn't walk through the right door. Yeah. How many times are you wondering, why, where's the green pastures that God was explaining to me or what I read in my Bible? Yeah. Well, you tried to, you walked in, tried to walk in, you walked through the wrong door because you've just been about gifts, obedience, and trying harder. Yeah. It's like, if I can just do this better, then I will be loved by God. That's the wrong door. And uh, many of you need to walk through the door this morning. <laughs> and through that, you'll find extreme breakthrough because you won't let be left wanting or wondering anymore. You'll find a place called home. Yeah. Guys, unadulterated nearness and intimacy with him was, not enough, w w was enough to not only sustain us, like let, get us to another day. 
it was enough to make us the dominating force on the face of the planet mm. as ambassadors of him. Amen. The Torah was not an upgrade to what they had in Eden. It was meant to be like a chokehold that makes you tap out and say, okay, we're looking at you now. We can't take it anymore. Come so on. why do we put the Torah or rules and regulations back on ourselves as if it's going to make us nearer to him? It's supposed to be the behaviors that are a byproduct. It's a meter. It's a barometer, right? The Torah is a barometer that you're seeing, okay, I, I'm hitting about 50% right now. So then God must be at, no, opposite. I'm hitting, so I have room to go closer. I have room to be nearer. I have room to grow in him. I have things that I, I, I need to look in his eyes a little bit longer. I need to hear his voice a little bit longer. I Come need on. to be under his touch a little bit longer. And then we'll start seeing this holiness thing in our behavior, like a barometer, just increase all the way to 100%. Does that make sense? I didn't begin to understand any of this until the day that I started looking at you with a father's heart. That's weird to say, <laughs> but it's true. The moment that I begin to feel, reflect the father's heart is the moment that I begin to understand my sonship because this. John, if Ezekiel ran away tomorrow, say he's 10 years old, say he's 18 years old, and Ezekiel says, I don't want to be your son anymore. Would you just let him go? <laughs> no. How many years would it take until you give up on him? You'd never give up on him. I'm starting to realize the more that we think we can walk away from the Lord, he'll make it almost impossible for you to yeah. because he loves you that much. But there so is a way out of the sheep pen, but you're going to have a shepherd running into <laughs> Running and running and running until he can get you back like we were talking about in worship today. The point is, is that type of deep love is what needs to penetrate your heart this morning. Yeah. That's what we're going after. That's what causes you to start acting rightly. We're called to bear fruit with repentance, right? Yeah. But if you're not really returning back to the right place, you'll never bear fruit. You'll never bear lasting fruit. We're trying to get to a tender place this morning in your heart. So that we might be able to reflect his light in which he shines on us. We can give you 55 scriptures today. We could, we could try to convince you by the way of uh, study. But that's not gotten any of you anywhere. It's time today we're returning back to the door. We're returning back to the place of when he says be holy. You're not scrambling to, okay, let me go. It's like resting in the fact that he has made you holy. This is the breakdown this morning. This is the intended way for his sheep all along to know that they have a shepherd that wants them to rest in the green pasture in which he's brought us to. So last, let me ask you this today, church. Is there some areas in which you need to return this morning? Yeah, the question is return to where? Return to what? Right. When we talk about repentance, so often we're like, Repur return back to obedience. 
No, you're not returning back to obedience. Repentance is obedience. It is the action of obedience. And it's obedience to come back home because your dad called you back home. Repentance, destination-wise, is him. That's where you're going to. So here's a couple of things that we just as pastors wanted to talk with you about today because we're fixing our mentality concerning our uh, making ourselves and making others around us holy getting the idea out that adhering to or teaching and enforcing law torah rules and regulations will fix up will fix others around us the only point of all of it is that it gives us an awareness of sin we can see a weariness on parents a frustration on church leaders and an exhaustion on disciples to get it right and to make each other get it right. We see it. We see it on you guys because we looked in the mirror and saw it on ourselves. Yep. We're going to be honest with you. This is not an accusational message today. We can see it on you because we looked in the mirror and saw it on ourselves. And that exhaustion, that frustration that we hear of a house of single women who love the Lord and live together, but come out and say, I just can't get her to stop doing that and it's annoying me. Or I just, my husband will not do what I, like what I'm wanting him to do. Or my wife, well, that attitude will not change like I want it to change. Or God's not hearing, whatever it is, church. We're seeing these throughout our whole church body between brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, all across the board. But let me talk to you a little bit about specifically parenting and children. Because this has everything to do with what we're talking today. Do you understand that the physical discipline you apply to your children, whether it's spankings as some of you choose to do and or whether it's hand slaps for the little ones and stuff like that or whether it's timeouts or whatever it is right these physical disciplines that are in and of themselves good they are not enforced for the purpose of saving your children in and of themselves you understand that the spankings will not save them the hand slaps will not save them I say this because some of you are convinced that the physical discipline is going to fix that heart of sin that's inside your child. <laughs> you believe it's going to fix them more than you going home and saturating the walls and the air in your house with the presence of God. You know why spankings are the easiest default? Because it's the most natural response to those misbehaviors. And... It's good. The Bible says that it's good. We should be doing it. I am not here to tell you not to spank your children. Trust me. I believe in these things, and you'll see it whenever we have our own children. And at the same time, church, these things are much easier, much faster, much simpler, and they are a, they are a lower standard correction to, than what the actual correction is. Just like in you and me, we do not need to be spanked by God, and then we're going to act better. Come on. Hear me right. I'm not disagreeing with these things. For some reason, though, many in this room are convinced that the same Holy Spirit lacking. Listen to me. Many in this room are convinced that the same Holy Spirit lacking discipline-heavy households that you grew up in are all of a sudden going to work now because you go to a Spirit-filled church. 
It doesn't work. I promise the same things that messed you up as a kid are going to do the same thing and mess up your kids too. Because the thing that messed you up as a kid wasn't, wasn't founded in the Holy Spirit, and neither are many of the methods you're trying to do right now with some of your own children. And the disciplines are not bad. The rules are not bad. Even the spankings and the hand slaps are not bad. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but your heart and your carry out better be right. We are temporary caretakers of our children, of our disciples. Disciplining them towards what, church? Giving them rules to follow for what purpose? And if you're not giving rules to your children to follow, if you're not disciplining your children, that is an entirely different issue that we're gonna, we can talk about later. <laughs> but many in this room, most in this room, are doing a very thorough job of disciplining their children, but to what end, to what purpose? So that their desperate need for Christ is made evident in them at an earlier age than what it was for you. That makes the spankings and the timeouts or the time ins rather, Kendall our time ins, all these things, all this stuff, it all is for a different purpose now. Now we're not spanking a child. We're not scolding a child. We're not telling them no because, like, if I just say it enough times, they'll get it right. No, that heart of sin is going to be the exact same thing in there. It's more like, hey, Judah, do you see that whenever you're not behaving right, that you need Jesus just as badly as I do every day? <laughs> That's what... That's what we're talking about, guys, that our children at little ages can come to an affection with their father in heaven because they see the affection that you have in your eyes for, for them. If you can look upon your heartbreaking, sin, sinful-hearted child and smile upon them and say, don't worry, I'm going to help make this right. Don't worry, your father in heaven's going to help make this right. It will completely change the tone of even our manners of discipline because that's how our father in heaven is looking upon this. He's like, we come to him and we take two months to come back and feel like we're in intimacy with him again after we made some bad choices. And he's like, I'm just waiting for you to come home. Like, I'm just waiting for you to show up so I can put a robe on you and put a ring on you again. <laughs> come on. So that herein lies the problem, though, church. You think this way, I think this way, we all think this way, because we genuinely believe our Father in Heaven thinks this way, and He just simply doesn't. Discipline qualifies. Punishment disqualifies. The moment that you go and punish somebody is saying, just go, go somewhere. I'm going to banish you to this corner so you can think about what you did. Time out. You're done. You're done. <laughs> Discipline says, hey, son, listen, you, you're obviously weak in these areas, but you have a father that's going to help you to be strong in it. Come right here. Discipline qualifies. The scripture says that he who loves discipline or who, he who loves correction is blessed. It says, the scripture also says that God disciplines those he loves. And we're also going to read a scripture later on about perfect love driving out all fear, which fear has to do with what? Punishment. Punishment disqualifies, discipline qualifies, 
And we want to make sure that all of you from your father feel qualified to be his son. You are qualified to be his son. And we, so we're not wasting years of feeling punished by the Lord. It's like, yeah, I, I got sent to a corner by the Lord, and I'm just waiting for him to tell me what's next. A lot of you don't know what, where to go next. It's probably because you feel punished. But discipline leads to more life. Let's go to Deuteronomy 27, verse 6. We read this earlier. We're going to read it in some new lights today. You're receiving something this morning. Deuteronomy 27, 26. It says, Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Then all the people shall shall say, Amen. Before you say amen to this, Are you under the curse this morning? Are you the righteousness of Christ? Which is it? Will your life be tuned to the frequency of the hopelessness that sins brings? Like, I'm going to just go listen to my sinful radio today. What has that done to your walk with Christ? Nothing. What has your shame done for you? Nothing. Will you spend the rest of your life focused on the curse of death that disobedience brings? Disciples' failures, not parenting your children correctly, or will your life be about the one who has and who can break the curse of your transgression? The moment that you're free is when you actually start walking in the right direction. But that only comes from knowing that you've been cleansed, that you have not been punished You're being disciplined. And when you are disciplined, you go to the right place, to the one who calls you holy. You're not going to be holy unless you first receive holy. Someone in this place is about to get this lifted off of them this morning in the name of Jesus. Romans 5 1 through 2 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have a peace. We have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of glory of God. Come on. It's Jesus Christ in you. The hope of glory. That is your testimony each day. Whenever you fall, whenever you stumble, whenever we correct you, the response is, oh, Jesus Christ, the hope of glory in me. He has made me to be like him, and I'm going to continue to grow in the stature of my king, of my maker. And guess what? He's going to do beautiful things. He's going to make beautiful things out of the dust, as Christopher was saying this morning. But we first have to believe that you are made for more. You first have to believe that you are made for more this morning, that you have not been punished, but you are disciplined. That you are not sat in the corner, yet he has given you the site and the place and the destination to go. Listen, the answer, the answer all along, even from the beginning, in our transgressions is who? It's Jesus. Jesus, the hope of glory in us. 
is the only one who can make you holy. And he's made you holy. Yo, we're going to finish up today by going through our third passage that is just beautifully displays this and has confounded the wisdom of the wise for many years. Turn to Romans chapter 7 with us. As you turn in there, today he's making you behaviorally holy because you are walking with the man of holiness. Everybody's so concerned about how I'm going to do this or like what you like thinking about all the cool things you can do after church like this is a fruit of walking with holiness it's like no it's more of like every day should be like man I can't wait to go like meet with the Lord and I see what he wants out of our life today Romans 7 1 you there well do you know brethren or brother For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. This will kill you. (laughs) Listen in. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, She is joined to another man. She shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Check this, verse 4. Therefore, my brother, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who has raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Isn't that interesting? These men spent their entire lives trying to bear a fruit called holiness, and holiness comes and enters into our lives, resurrects us, and then he says, hey, go and bear fruit. Verse 5, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, We're at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. What I found found really interesting in this scripture, and I want to share with you this morning, is what happens to someone who's living an act of adultery. There comes a need to always be looking over your shoulder in anxiety that your covenant partner will catch you. What do I mean by this? Who are you in covenant with today? Rules and regulation or King Jesus? The funny thing is, is whenever we rely on rules and regulations to try to just keep us right, is the moment we feel like we're cheating on the grace of God. Vice versa, we lean into the grace of God. We feel like we're cheating on rules and regulations. And we become bad because we're like, man, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be this or that. That's the anxiety we're releasing. I don't want to be one of those Christians that believes in too much grace. Too much love from God. Really? Too much. Like, guys, <laughs> it sounds like I'm being critical, but this is me to a T. But okay? check this. We are called to die to the law through Christ's finished work yeah. so that you might be joined to him. Yeah. He will protect you. He will sanctify you. He will cause you to be holy. 
And then you, the response in it will be holy behavior. Okay. This will release you from the feeling of cheating on rules and regulations by walking in the freedom of the uh, atonement of Christ. Yeah. Then the scandal of grace is no longer a scandal to you because you're living in it. Come on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You moved in with grace. You made a home with grace. You're bearing the fruit from the seed that grace has put in you, and now you're multiplying all around you. It's no longer adultery. It's no longer an anxiety that comes with abiding with grace. That's the reason grace feels awkward to many of us. I mean, it's why judgment is so easy for many of us is because we are still trying to remain married to rules and regulations and then preach the message of the freedom of grace at the same time. You don't live in fear over breaking the law anymore, church, because yeah. you know his faithful, he is faithful to the promise in you. We use this word a lot, promise. His promise is in you. His promise is in you this morning. The way that this wrecked my heart in the last couple of weeks is understanding that Jesus, who the Son of God, came that he, might, uh, that he might reconcile us back to the Father. He worked it, he walked in perfect harmony with his Father. And guess what? Because God the Father calls Jesus Son, and we're called sons, God the Father has patience in the promise that's in you. Whenever we are getting it wrong, he doesn't shove us in a corner. He says, I know who he is in me. That's why we lean on the grace of God. That's why we lean into the, the love of God. Because without it, what do we deserve? Death. But in him is a patience and a help for him to come along and say, son, it's okay that you don't know everything today, I'll teach you. Hey, you sinned against me? Do you feel that emptiness? You don't have to feel it anymore. Come and repent, walk with me again. The most beautiful thing that we've ever encountered was tasting and seeing of the love of God. John 8, 3 through 11. In light of what we just read, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Teachers of what? They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, man, they didn't know what they were getting into. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the laws of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to cast a stone at her. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground, And this... Those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one 
condemned you? No, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declares. And what does he say? Go now and leave your life of sin. Wow. What grace has been extended to her, to her in that moment? And then what is the response? Go Now, hey, did you just feel that? Yeah, now go live your life of sin. This is completely contrary to the Christian culture, culture principle many of us learned in churches as children that God cannot be near sin. That God can, darkness cannot be found around him. Yeah, the, it can't because whenever you do actually step into him, you, the darkness in you, all of a sudden gets lit up with his light, right? It's not that he doesn't allow people like you. It's not that he doesn't allow people like you. It's not that he doesn't allow people like the woman here in this story. He's like, I'm just confident that if I get down on the dirt and kneel down next to her, she's going to light up with the same light that's in me. That's the confidence that God carries. And that's why he's not anxious to bring you into his presence, though, like this woman, you've been sleeping with someone who's not your husband. Or like the prodigal son, you've been sleeping in a pen with pigs. Notice the father there never said, come on in, son. We're going to give you a bath. Don't worry. We're going to bandage you up. We're going to give you a bath. We're going to make sure you're clean before we put this good robe on you. He just put his own robe. He's like, give him the best robe, my very own robe, and put it on him. That's what the father did. Imagine the muck that was still on him whenever that robe got put on him. This is what God is teaching us right now, church. But I want you to listen with me on this last part of Romans chapter 7, and we're going to close out for the day. But we don't want you all to miss out on this. Romans 7 Verse 6 says, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin or the rules that I give my children sin? Was Torah sin for Israel? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting unless, unless the law said, do not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. That means both before and after. Listen, I was once alive apart from the law, before the law. I was alive before I was introduced to the law. Does that make sense? The law came. Paul, growing up, or Shaul, growing up as a child, doesn't know, and he just knows mom and dad. But you're like, here, son, here's Torah. Here's rules. Here's the regulations that you have to live by. And then he dies according to these things. Then he dies to sin. It says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life in verse 10, proved to result actually in death. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it, it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin 
would become utterly sinful. Church, Romans 7 embodies everything that God is putting on our hearts today and that we're here to discuss with you. We as a church are being broken out by the love of our Father from this disgusting, and hear me, disgusting, mindset and heart posture of religiosity, legalism, and punishment-centered theology that keeps every single person in this room bound in anxiety, frustration, stress, and fear. And we're saying, be free today. We're saying, be free today. Church, go ahead and stand with us this morning. First John 4, verse 15 says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and say, and they, they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. There is one who fears. He's not made perfect in love yet. Church, today's your day to walk through the door. Today's your day to receive the love that can, the only thing in which that can perfect that fear out of you. Even when you're hearing this message today, if there's a pulling in your heart, there's kind of like a tale of two truths, and you're like, I don't know which one to, I don't even really know which one I'm a part of anymore. We want you to be confident today of that. We want you to know that you're home. That today is the day that you return back to your maker. You started in the spirit, but are you working in the flesh now? So we're going to have an altar call for this this morning. If you're ready to feel beloved, if you're ready to be in a place where you now can really live in the abundance of life that he has for you, then come up to the front. We're going to start worshiping for a moment.